The information contained in this podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute investment or financial advice. You should seek tailored advice that is specific to your circumstances before making any investment decision. The Good Investing Podcast connects you with successful investors and business leaders who invest in or are experts in a range of industries, but do it with a difference. Our focus over the years has shifted. And whilst we are the leading food rescue organization, we are also heavily embedded and invested in sustainability, in education, and in connecting and engaging with our partners with a view to shifting behavior. Hello, my name is Matt Nicard. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Ethical Partners Funds Management. Our guest today is someone who is investing in the future of this country. She has been a very successful business owner in a for-profit sense, and then most recently and currently in a not-for-profit sense. She is feeding the most disadvantaged people in Australia. But more than that, she is ensuring they receive the very best nutrition, which gives them the best chance to live healthy lives. And I can't think of a better example of a good investor than that. Our guest today is Ronnie Khan, founder and CEO of Oz Harvest. Welcome, Ronnie, and thanks for agreeing to be our sixth guest on the Good Investing Podcast. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Now, before I start, I, I do want to provide listeners with a very short biography for the very few people out there who may not have heard of Ronnie, um, and then hopefully, Ronnie, you'll do most of the talking. So Ronnie Khan is the founder and CEO of the food rescue charity Oz Harvest, born in South Africa. Ronnie moved to Israel before emigrating to Australia in 1988 and starting a very successful events management business. It was in part because of what Ronnie experienced in her business that she decided to start Oz Harvest in 2004. Now, this, of course, grossly oversimplifies the story of a fine Australian. Ronnie has lobbied successfully to change laws across several states to help perfectly good food not go to waste. Oz Harvest delivers the equivalent of 29 million meals a year that otherwise would be dumped. But I'm going to stop there because there's so much in the Ronnie Khan story I prefer you would hear I'd like to hear from Ronnie herself rather than me. So, Ronnie, where do we start? Why don't we start with educating listeners who aren't familiar with Oz Harvest a little bit about the organisation, what it does, and how you do it. Beautiful. Thank you so much. So, I think if I listen to your intro, the first thing you spoke about was really that I run a not-for-profit organisation. And you're 100% right. That's the technical term. But quite honestly... I run a business that absolutely has profits that's measurable. It's just not in dollars. So I always like to clarify that. So I think what's really exciting about Oz Harvest today is very different from what it was when I set out to solve this problem of surplus food that I saw that was going to waste and knew that it should be feeding vulnerable people. That is in its essence what Oz Harvest does. And we do that nationally. We do that with a fleet of over 75 vehicles, making sure that good food from everywhere in the food supply chain goes to feed hungry people rather than going to landfill. What I didn't know then and what I do know now is that food waste is the third biggest emitter of methane gas and is considered the third or now moving up to be the second biggest reason for climate change, for the climate crisis. So our focus over the years has shifted 
And whilst we are the leading food rescue organization, we are also heavily embedded and invested in sustainability, in education, and in connecting and engaging with our partners with a view to shifting behavior. So, yeah, that's that's the part about Ozharvest that most people don't know. They see a beautiful yellow vehicle because we've created a brand that is very recognizable. Um, but there's much more to what we do um, to add even more value to what it is that we do. I love it. We're going to get on to hopefully most of those things because you're, you're so right. People, those that do know about Oz Harvest know the core of how it started, but there's so much more now and we're going to try and touch on as many of those points as we can. I'd just like to touch on, first of all, the logistical challenges. I mean, logistical challenges alone are phenomenal. Tell us about the team um, because I know it's not possible without the team that you have and, and just how you organise things to, to get the job done. Yeah, so really I often say I run a transport and logistics company. We just pick up for free and deliver for free. So literally that is what we do. We have a fleet of vehicles. They're refrigerated. And I guess what shifted and changed over the years was I thought that there was just a little bit of food that I'd collect until I'd solved that problem. And then I realized that a third of all food that's grown and produced goes to waste. So our vehicles leave an office, and we have offices in every major, in every state other than Tasmania. Um, we leave our offices empty, a refrigerated vehicle with a paid driver, and it goes out to collect food from the food supply chain. So that could be supermarkets, hotels, delis, anywhere that there's food produced. Obviously, we're talking pre-COVID and with limitations as we have gone through the pandemic. And we deliver that food out to over 2,000 charitable organizations across the country that then service vulnerable people. So we're not, we're B2, we've always been B2B. What's changed for us in the last little while is we're B2C. And what's also changed for us is how we pivoted and pirouetted through COVID because for the very first time, Oz Harvest is 17 years old. And for the very first time, we've had to purchase food. Up until COVID, Oz Harvest was rescuing surplus food that was perfectly fit for consumption from the food supply chain, delivering it out to people. But through the cut, through the pandemic, one, because we have more than a million people additional needing food relief or some kind of food support, as well as the supply chain being so affected that the, the amount of surplus food has been challenged. And look, I, I do so appreciate your time today because I know the pressures are so much more significant as you've just run through. So you've had to really reorganise the business to change that model in order to still get the job done and get the food to people who need it through this period, haven't you? It, it's it's amazing. And and so when you say you're purchasing food, how are you how are you doing that, and and how have you managed that whole supply chain um, uh, change? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to give you some stats, but I'm going to answer that first. So what happened when COVID hit, 
was our government, the federal government, started handing out money to major businesses, but our sector was completely forgotten. And so I collaborated and got a whole bunch of other organizations um, and we lobbied government and um, to food rescue, $16 million was given. Now that had to be divided out between another couple of organizations, but that gave us that core funding to allow us to start purchasing food because the need was there. The need has not gone. In fact, the need is exacerbated. Um, and so it's constantly asking for funding for new, for an, for an area that we've never paid for in our business. Um, so that significantly shifted. But, but quite honestly, we rolled out a campaign as COVID hit called um, Here for Hope. And it turned out to be one of our most, well, the most successful financial campaign we've ever had because individuals, corporates, foundations, trusts just really didn't know how to support individuals through this pandemic. None of us have ever been through this before. And um, we really have had an extraordinary amount of generosity. And this is coming on the back of bushfires. Now, on the back of bushfires, when we started in the year 2020, it was a very, very, we were in a very um, fraught position because the generosity that had been given through bushfires meant that there was a huge element of donor fatigue. And given that Oz Harvest is a philanthropic organization, up until COVID, 3% of my funding was government. The rest was philanthropy, individuals, trusts, corporates, partners. Through COVID, that has shifted to 34% of funding coming in from government. Now, that's not sustainable, not for us. We don't want it to be that, nor do we want, nor does government want to be in that position. So just navigating that journey is an interesting one and takes a lot of my time. Have you been able to source the food that you're buying or, or, or sourcing from producers and manufacturers who used to sell to events and um, other places that can't do it now and, and stop that from going to waste? Because I imagine that's an enormous challenge as well. Absolutely. So we tapped into the providors, the producers and supporting those businesses that lost their business. So perhaps I should share with you a little bit about how we pivoted through COVID because I think that's really of interest. So first of all, I'm going to give you some figures since inception because it's relevant and will show what we've done through COVID. So since inception, we have diverted 60,723,247 kilos of good food from going to landfill. And we've delivered the equivalent of 189,350,920 meals. Now, of that, 956,028 of those meals are cooked meals. Now, pre-COVID, we didn't have a cooked meal program. But what happened through COVID was suddenly people were in isolation. A lot of charities had to close down. They rely on volunteers who are elderly. They couldn't run. P 
people in isolation. People couldn't get to supermarkets. So a, a new need was created. And because we are nimble and agile, we managed to get there. So just to give you an idea, since the 1st of March to the 5th of September, because we're very data-driven, because that allows us to understand the value of every donor dollar, as well as to keep track of what it is that we're doing. We have diverted 14,637,460 kilos of food in this last 18 months. We've delivered 52,408,755 meals. Um, We've created hampers. Um, The need to get food to people in a safe, contactless way meant that we had to find a new way of delivering food to our agencies as well as to now to families who were in need, people who'd never, a new cohort, a new demographic of need, people who'd never needed food before, but it lost their jobs. And if you have to make a choice between paying your mortgage, having a roof over your head, or your medical bills, or food, it's a very tough choice. And we find that there are millions, well, hundreds of thousands of people in that position. And so 211,783 hampers have been made. And in this last lockdown, we have ramped up from a thousand hampers a week to 10,000 hampers a week. We've ramped up from two to 4,000 meals a week to 11,000 cooked meals a week. And we have gone into partnership and we call it our HOSPO heroes. And these are those chefs or businesses that lost their businesses. And we got funding and we have partnered with them to create meals for us so that one, it provides them with some money, they could keep their staff employed, and two, it gave us an up the ante on the meals that we could cook in our own premises. So it is all about, we've rolled out um, two mobile markets who go out, leave our office empty, and are purchasing food in regional New South Wales to support those businesses that have lost their businesses and have not been able to um, supply, fill the supply chain so that we can then give out their food for free. So it is all about collaboration, connection, and trying to be as broad and as wide as possible with sharing the love. It's it's absolutely staggering. It, it really is. I want to jump back in time to 1988, and and this is part three of your life in a way, and and we know this of course yeah. because of your excellent book, Ronnie Khan: A Repurposed Life, published by Murdoch Books. I highly recommend it. I couldn't put it down, to be honest. So, so you came to Australia, you work in retail, but you have the realization that you wanted to be your own boss. You, you took an opportunity to work at a florist, and within two years, you managed three shops. And you've said that an inner voice drives you forward, and I think we get that idea from the from the from the discussion we've had so far. Can you just help me understand that inner voice just a little bit better? Sure. I guess I see problems and think it's my job to solve them. I I've never 
Yeah, I worked for a very short while for somebody and realized that that wasn't, I, I wanted to keep changing and telling them how to do the, run their business and realized that that wasn't so useful because they didn't always want to listen. And so um, I think that I am driven. I seem to have, you know, I didn't ever know this and I certainly didn't know that I was an entrepreneur. I never heard the word. But I certainly know now that I see things and think I can do them in a different way or do them better, solve a problem. And I'm driven. It's a force that comes from within. And I do think that probably from a role modeling point of view, you know, I had a dad that had an accident when I was six. He was an architect, had just gone into his own private practice and was told not only we didn't think he'd survive, but if he did, that he'd never walk again, not to mention work. Well, two years later, he hobbled out of hospital and would climb ladders and never went back into his own business, but worked for others as a very dignified and gracious architect. He never thought of himself as a victim. So what I saw was you just get on and do things. My mother was absolutely a serial entrepreneur without us ever knowing that. All we knew was she had to survive. My dad was going to be in hospital for two years. So I think what the role modeling I saw was you try things, you do them, you try and do them the best you can. If that doesn't work, you try something else. And so I think that there is a force within me that, you know, I walk into the office some days and my team just duck because it's, hey, I've got an idea about. <laughs> and they know that I, I'm relentless and that we probably will implement some of those. But, yeah, it's it's this life force, I think. I feel I've got an opportunity and I need to utilize it at every moment. I can imagine that. I can imagine you walking in. Um uh, and, and look, for, for, for someone who doesn't have or can't hear that inner voice, do, do you think it can be learnt or developed or improved on? I definitely do. I think that um, I think it's much harder. I think somehow if one has it innately, it's certainly helpful. But I absolutely believe that it's about attitude and one can work on one's attitude and it's about the skills one has and the ability to take those skills and try and be as um, innovative or as as brave. Really, it takes courage. And I think we all have courage. And at some point, a lot of it's been beaten out of us, but we can develop it. Yes. Yeah. So you went on from being a florist to designing and planning weddings and then event management. But was that a conscious transition? Was there a particular business strategy or did it just seem like a natural extension at the time? So I'm not very good on your business podcast because you're going to ask me about business strategy as you just have. And no, everything rolled into the other. You know, my florist, somebody came in and said, can you come and tell me what I could do in the hall? Well, can you do more? And I said, sure. What does more look like? And they said, well, we've got this hall and it's ugly. And I said, of course I can make it beautiful. And from that, 
I developed an event management company that was working with corporates, major corporates, as well as individuals. Um, when I decided to start Oz Harvest, what I knew was there was food because I was seeing it in my event industry and I knew there were people in need. So if that's a strategy, yes, I decided I was going to make sure that that food got to feed hungry people. When I went in for the first, as you would have read in my book, to go and ask for funding, you know, I certainly didn't have a business plan. What I had was an idea and, and I managed to sell that. So um, strategically, every single thing that I've done has led me to the next thing. But could I consciously say, I certainly didn't at the age when I finished school and went to university say, one day I'm going to run a charity, one day I'm going to do this. The only thing I did think I was going to do at some point in my life, and I haven't quite given up on it, is architecture. But I never got to do that. <laughs> Uh, I think that's really interesting because it's an example of understanding the character of a person rather than necessarily specifically understanding what they want to do at a point in time because it can evolve. I think that's a really good lesson for everyone. It seems that um, when you started RKED, Ronnie Khan Event Design, that seemed to be the time when you developed that real self-belief in yourself that you could do whatever you wanted to do. Is that right? Absolutely. And I certainly did not have that prior. And I think it was more chutzpah, the the Jewish word of cheek and, yeah, giving it a go than anything else. But that certainly wasn't who I was as a child growing up or as a young adult. Um, I was certainly hesitant, recalcitrant to give opinions. But somehow I found my métier. I found something that I knew I was good at, and that was talking to people, being with people, and the craft and the art of putting together an event. And I think after having done the first one and the second one, it gave me that confidence to know, well, tackle it. I mean, your your energy and drive is is absolutely amazing. How do you how do you bring people along with you on that journey when perhaps some of them don't quite have your um, intensity and energy and drive? How, how do you how do you bring everyone with you? Because you can you can achieve a lot. You can probably achieve a hell of a lot more with everyone else as well. So how did you how did you learn to to get everyone with you? You know what I didn't realize at the time, but now, and certainly in refle- on reflection and thinking about my life, passion is infectious. And people, you know, a lot of people walk around half dead. And so that's not something one would want to follow. So when one's passionate and has, you know, I'll give you an example. I remember in my early event days, somebody came to me and said they want, you know, they want a dream wedding. And I said, okay, well, what we can do is we can, you know, I I designed and painted a picture with words. I think storytelling is hugely important. And they said they love that. And, 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 but how would they know what it would look like? I said, well, you've got two choices. You can either pay me and I'll do it the week before 
in an empty hall so you can see what it looks like or next week. You can pay me the full amount or you can trust and believe that I will deliver what it is that I'm saying. So there definitely is an element of of being able to paint a picture. And I think storytelling is such an important role, the narrative in every business and and specifically one that leads with purpose. But I don't believe there should be any business that doesn't have both meaning and purpose attached to it. I think the world has changed and I think that there isn't an employee who doesn't want to know that their business is adding value beyond making money for shareholders. So that was part A of my discussion with Ronnie Khan, founder and CEO of Oz Harvest. Join us for part B, where Ronnie talks about the other components of Oz Harvest you may not have heard about, and then some of our standard questions on leadership and so on that I think you'll find absolutely fascinating. Thank you for listening to the Good Investing Podcast. Subscribe to hear future episodes and for more information about Ethical Partners Funds Management, visit ethicalpartners.com.au.